We're going to continue our study in, in uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, and we'll pick up today in verse 17 through the end of the chapter. Um, I will read that portion, then we will, um, we will proceed from there to, to learn God's word. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you so much that we can come together and study your word. Uh, I pray that as we uh, learn from this particular section of your word through Paul, that, uh, that we will uh, understand why we are a new creation, why you have created us anew, and that is to, uh, to become ministers, to become ministers for you. Uh, that your word is spoken through us. And so we thank you, and as we, as we understand this, just please um, uh, help me to, uh, to speak clearly and to certainly not misrepresent any of your words. Uh, and I ask this in your son's name. Amen. So last week we, we did the preceding verses, 14 through 17, and in that we, uh, we learned um, again uh, starting in verse 17, when he says, uh, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. And then we, we talked about he died for all those that would then believe, that would believe in him and that would then die to themselves, die to their old thoughts, their old way, their old sinful nature, and then live a life unto the one who died for him, which is unto Christ. That's what we talked about last week as well. And, and when that happens, that, that transforms us, that, that changes us completely so that in, in the going down the verse, we, we look at the world differently. We see others differently. We don't regard them according to the flesh. We regard them uh, according to how God sees them. It changes our eyes. It changes really everything about us. Uh, and that's very important because all that was based on Christ's love for us. It was nothing that we did. Uh, so that new creation that he makes us through his atoning death, that new creation, um, who does that? I mean, are we, do we do that to ourselves or is that something that, that God does to us? I mean, we know the answer to that. That's something God, that we cannot create ourselves again. That is something that comes directly from God. And we always have to remember that, that the, uh, the new person we are, our new way of thinking, our new way of acting, our new way of looking at the world and other people and the things in the world, that all comes from God. 
Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't Christ, it wasn't just made possible by Christ's death on the cross, but it was an actual atonement that served its purpose. It changed us. It made each and every one who is in Christ a new creation. So we have to understand that, the, that God did that. Uh, God did that. We were really passive in the recipient of that, but, but we do act after that. After we are a new creation, we do change our lives. And Ephesians, um, at the top of your handout there, Ephesians 4, chapter 22, really kind of puts it all together very well. And so let's just, let's just read that really quickly. It says, and being a new creation is to put off your old self. Okay, that is our old sinful nature, the way we were before we came to Christ, which belongs to your former manner of life. That would be our sinful nature, and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. So all of our desires prior to our regeneration by Christ were um, and they were deceitful, they were of this world, they were sinful, uh, and this is how it changes us. We're renewed then in the spirit of your minds. And I love that. We're not made a new creation physically, although we're changed in our mind and our spirit, which go together. We have talked about that. That's what changes us. But then how we act physically and what we do in our actions are tremendously affected by that because that changes. That changes. You know, we still look the same, but we're different. Um, and then we put on our new self that would be in Christ, his desires, uh, and our desires to serve him. And it's created after the likeness of God uh, in true righteousness and holiness. So now we are, we are his workmanship. We're created after him. Um, and it's, a, it's a really an incredible thing to think about. He created, um, you know, God is the great creator. He created the world. He, uh, um, uh, he created us initially physically, but then he created us again spiritually when his son died for our sins. Um, I put a quote in there from Spurgeon, which is, which is uh, good. We'll read it in a second. But, but when you think about it, it's really... Our new creation, uh, done by God to us, uh, is really the, uh, the heart of, um, of Christianity. It, the, well, the heart of Christianity is really about what God does for us and not what we do for him. Uh, you know, as we read in, in Ephesians, the old self is put off. We're, a, again, a new creation. Uh, Spurgeon's little quote here, and I'll read it to you because it's kind of interesting. He, he makes a, the... The analogy between the God, the creator of all the earth, and essentially he says, if this can be really said, that it was easy for him to create everything out of nothing compared to creating us as a new creature. And his idea here is, is this, that when he created everything out of nothing, he just created. There's no resistance, there's no nothing. But to make us a new creature, we resist. We're sinful. And so that's not really hard for God, but, but in our human minds, it kind of it makes sense. And I'll just read it to you here. It says, my brethren, it was more difficult, if such terms are ever applicable to the omnipotent, 
God, okay? It was more difficult to create a Christian than to create a world. What was there to begin with when God was in the world? Well, there's nothing. Nothing could stand in God's way. It was at least passive. But my brethren, in our hearts, while there was nothing that could help God, there was much that could and did oppose him. Our stubborn wills, our deep prejudices, our ingrained love for iniquity, all these, great God opposed thee and aimed at thwarting thy designs. But yes, great God, it was great to make a world, but greater to create a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that is, to think about that, it really, it's awesome to think about as well. And Matthew Henry said that when we may become a new creation, when that regenerating grace comes into us and, and, and makes it, he described it as uh, a new world in our soul. So everything that, that we loved before, we hate. Everything we hated before, we loved. It's like uh, all our actions, all our thoughts, all our desires, everything uh, that we loved before uh, is different. It's like a whole new world that we have in our soul. So the new you, the new created you by Christ will certainly be reflected uh, not only in how you see other people, it'll be reflected in how you spend your time, it'll be reflected in how you spend your money, it'll be uh, reflected in how you treat people, It'll, it'll, you'll be completely different. It'll be a, a, a whole new creation, as it states. And, and we've got to remember that when God did that, he didn't just fix the old you. He created the new you. So you are his. You are his workmanship unto good works in Christ Jesus. So he owns you. He owns you because he created you. Um, as a new creation, several benefits from that, obviously. We... Uh, change mind, change world, we view people differently, we, we, uh, we have a different eternal resting place, we have a different destiny, and in that process, he was, again, reconciling uh, us to himself. And in that process, though, he also gives us the ministry of reconciliation, which means that we are God's voices here on earth, and that's just not a minister, minister, that is each and every one here who is a new creation is, it, and each and every one who Christ has paid the price for our sins. We are now ministers of that same gospel, the ministry, uh, ministry of reconciliation is how Paul puts it uh, in this section. So, so getting back to our text for today, in this in chapter, I mean in verses 18 and following, you can see that the, um, uh, the idea here has to do with reconciliation and reconciling. No more than five times does he use that word um, in verse 18. All this from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation uh, therefore we are ambassadors to for christ making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god so it's easy to see that's the topic of this particular section about god our reconciliation to god but when we think of reconciling human terms okay everyone on this earth will be 
at odds with someone, will have some enmity towards someone, someone will wrong someone and, and, and take it the wrong way. And that, that's not only people and people, that's, you know, friends, that's family, that's, uh, it happens uh, that we will be at odds with them, that we will uh, have done something to wrong somebody, right? So, and on this earth, when we're, when we want to reconcile with someone, um, I mean, there's many in, a, in, uh, in groups needing to be reconciled. There's, you know, there's organizations, there's mediators, there's things like that that help you reconcile. But when we think of it from our logical human perspective, if someone wrongs you or if you wrong someone, thereby making enmity, anger, wrath between you two, who in our minds should be the one to initiate the reconciliation? The one who did the offending? The one who caused the problem to begin with? Yeah, that's the way we should think. But on earth, you know, what, what happens at reconciliation at best, it becomes a compromise. You know, it's not just one reconciling to the other. At best, it becomes a compromise. But what about between God and man? That's kind of a different uh, scenario there. Uh, who has wronged who? I mean, it's pretty obvious that we have wronged God, right? It is our sin that has offended a holy God. A holy God is perfect. He has not done anything ever wrong. So our uh, enmity with God is because of us. His wrath on us is because of us because of what we've done. Um, and so we should come to God, right? We should initiate that reconciliation. But we can't. Uh, that's the Bible. We're at enmity. We're blinded. We're, there's, there's, uh, you know, we're dead. We can't initiate anything like that, nor do we want to in our sinful nature. Our sinful nature wants anything but God. So... In this particular scenario, it's God that has to do the reconciling. God is the one that uh, reconciles. So how does he? So he reconciles us to himself. He's the active agent in this reconciliation. It's not us. We have to understand that. He is the active agent. And is he under any obligation to reconcile us to them, to himself? I mean, we're sinners. Everything we, everything we did do and say before before God changes, was against God, and he's certainly under no obligation to, to, uh, to save any one of us. Um, but he did. In, in, in his love, he chose to reconcile a people to himself through the death of his son. And we talked about that last week. Christ's atoning death for those that were to believe he will reconcile to himself. And it's God that's the one that did it. So, so being reconciled um, through the death of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought this? Why couldn't, why do you have to die? I mean, you know, when you're, and you've probably heard this growing up, that God's a loving God, and, and he's a forgiving God, and he's a merciful God, and he'll forgive your sins, and you know, that sounds really good, and yeah, he is all those things, and yeah, he will do all those things. Um, 
but you know he's also a just God. And so God, um, in his justice, uh, made a way for us sinners. You know, you wonder why couldn't God just, just kind of wink at sin? You know, just, uh, you've heard that. It's just, okay, you're in. I've forgiven. It's okay. And, but the idea is, and you've probably heard this analogy before about a judge, uh, a judge that would, would try a case and say he's trying a case of a, uh, a mass murder. And the, all the evidence points he's guilty. Uh, he admits he's guilty. Uh, you know, he's there for sentencing you know, by the judge, and the mass murderers say, yeah, judge, I did all those things, but, you know, it's okay, can you just let me go? Well, if he did, that judge wouldn't be a judge very long, number one, because justice wasn't served. Uh, there has to be justice for, for sin. Sin is an offense to God. Sin is a, a breaking of his law. Sin is, sin is how we... Um, how we acted in our, certainly our, our unregenerate state. Uh, so in order to pay those sins, and all those sins will be paid for one way or the other, every sin ever committed by mankind will be paid for either through eternal punishment in hell or through the blood of Jesus Christ. But they will all be punished because God is a just God. He, his justice must be served. I think on our, our thing, uh, it's explained very well in Romans 3 also. It's, it's a passage we've heard many times, but let's just kind of go through that um, slowly for a second. Uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, that's, that's an understatement. Fallen short of the glory. <laughs> we, uh, we're well short of that glory of God, okay? But all have sinned, okay? And are justified... Yeah, there's that word justify. It has to do justice by his grace as a gift. So, yes, it is God's grace that he would save any sinner. And yes, it is a gift. But you are justified. You have to be justified first. And how are you justified? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption that God, God redeems us through Christ Jesus, by justifying us, by his justice, by uh, uh, fulfilling his holy justice. Okay, so it's Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So the activation there is God putting forth his son, okay, as the propitiation, again, the appeasement of his wrath as a, uh, as a sacrifice. Uh, we spoke of that a few weeks ago as well. Um, and uh, so God puts forth the sacrifice for us to redeem us to himself because a debt is owed. Uh, it must be, uh, sin must be punished. Sin must be uh, 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 appeased. And says, by his blood, and it's to be received by faith. And the purpose of this was to show God's righteousness. Uh, and that's the whole purpose of it as well. But, but it says, because in his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. I love that divine forbearance. So it, his, his long-suffering, his patience, his, uh, you know, he would be just to have uh, wiped each and every one of us and sent us to hell 
you know, from before he even uh, sent his uh, son to die for us. But in his grace that is even poured out on the unjust, he has passed over those sins, former sins for a while. And then it, in, in the last verse, uh, 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. That means when Christ came. So that he might be just. He had to be just. He had to show his justice. His justice and his righteousness go together. And it's also he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So he is manifesting his righteousness in the fact that, that his justice is being served through the sacrifice he sends for us, and then we are justified through. So God is just, and he's also the justifier. He's the one that justifies us before himself, a holy God. He sent that. So, so it's the idea of justice that is... Um, that is encountered here. That is why we need to be reconciled. We, and that is why Christ had to die, is to pay the price that we deserved. Uh, so justice will be served for sin, either in hell for eternity or uh, through the blood of Christ for all those that are saved. So that's how God reconciles us to himself and now because he has reconciled us to himself, now what do we have to do? Um, again, all this from God of Christ, he reconciled us to himself. And then he gave us, in verse 18 there, the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so now that we are reconciled, now that we are God's, now that we are his workmanship, now that we're a new creation in him, we tell others what God has done. That's plain and simple, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is, is what we tell others how God reconciles a sinner to himself. And we can't, we can't get mistaken here. He, Paul isn't just talking about himself as the apostles being ministers of reconciliation, although they obviously were. And he's not just talking about paid ministers of, you know, of God that are, that are to... Uh, have this ministry of reconciliation, but it's all sinners whose debt was paid by Christ now have this ministry of reconciliation. So every child of God, uh, every new creation, every saved individual has a ministry, and that means you. Um, Jude 3 kind of tells us why also. Jude 3, beloved, um, although was very eager to write you about our common salvation. You see, you know, Paul's salvation wasn't any different than ours. Uh, it's the same salvation. Uh, came about by different means and different methods, but, but we're all saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. So we all have this common salvation. We are all reconciled to God the same way, and we all have the same ministry. Some do it better than others, but that's some of the gifts that God either gives you or, or doesn't give you. Um, and he talks about the... Uh, uh, just the, the faith that was once and for all delivered the saints. It's the same, same faith, the same salvation, the same message uh, that Paul had that we have today. And so why do we need to be ministers of reconciliation? You know, why couldn't God just go down there and pluck you out? Because God has determined means, the means by which men are saved, and that is outlined here in Romans 10.9. It says, because... 
You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. But how are you going to know how to do that unless somebody tells you? How are you going to know how to do that? And that's what he says. How then will they call on him if they, never, if they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him if they've never heard? And how are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach to them? And preaching isn't just preaching. It's telling them about it. Okay, one-on-one if need be. So that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the word of Christ, the true gospel. And, we, and so if we're going to be a minister of the gospel, we've got to get the gospel right. You know, we've got we to give them the true gospel, not just the one that, you know, is going to kind of fix their problems here on earth and not the one that's just going to make them a better person, but uh, we've got to give them the true gospel and that, that they understand that. Um, so the true gospel, uh, so the preached word must be, must be pre- the true word of God must be preached. People must hear the word of God um, so that God and, and Christ and the Holy Spirit will accomplish uh, their work here on earth, accomplish the, the, uh, the, the determination of salvation or those that will be saved. Um, so when you think about also God, this is not just a... Although God, when we speak of the Trinity, it's, it's, it's somewhat confounding to us, but we've got to understand the Trinity, God, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, function as one with respect to uh, the will. Um, in other words, when Christ uh, died on the cross, uh, it was the will of the Father, okay? But he came to earth uh, being obedient to the Father's will. He says that in many, it wasn't his will. Although he had that episode in the, in the garden when he asked God, can you take this cup from me? He said, no, but it's, it's your will, not mine. And so their wills were in perfect accordance, and that's how um, we have to understand that. So, so God the Father predetermined, you know, this course of action that Christ would come to earth, live a perfect life, save us for our sins, uh, and through the Holy Spirit residing in us, uh, we, will, uh, we will understand that, repent, and believe the gospel. Um, so it's important to understand that, 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 that Christ's death, uh, and some people get this confused a lot also, that Christ's death, and I certainly did uh, in my younger days, was, 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 you know, Christ lived this perfect life, and he was going to be the perfect example but he just didn't make it. It just kind of came out short. Man did that to him. But I certainly understand now that is certainly not the case. That was God's predetermined plan for salvation for all of mankind. So God was reconciling the world to himself <clears throat> through the death of his son, um, not counting... Um, their trespasses against them. So that's another good question. How does he not count our trespasses against us? The King James says he does not impute our sins upon us. He does not uh, ascribe what we have done to us. Uh, it's kind of a good way to put it. So how can he not do that because we've done them? <laughs> you know, we have to own up to it. We've done it. But he says here, he does not impute or he does not count those trespasses against us. And that kind of goes back to earlier, why did Christ have to die? You know, why couldn't God just 
wink at the sin? Why couldn't God just say, okay, you're forgiven. Uh, just in my mercy, I'm just going to pass over those. But, but why did Christ have to die? And, and the, the idea that he's putting forth here for us in this chapter is that he had to die to take those trespasses upon himself so that we would not have any of them counted against us anymore. And that's, that's, a, that's called the great substitution. That's what's called the substitutionary atonement. His death took our trespasses upon himself uh, so that we would become the righteousness of God. And then he put his righteousness on us. So God couldn't just, again, pass over our sins, but he imputed them, placed them on Christ. Now they're not counted against us. And through Christ's atoning death, we are now looked at uh, by God uh, as righteous in his eyes. And it's not any righteousness of our own. And we'll talk about that in just a second. So, so God didn't just kind of excuse our sin. You know, justice had to be done. Justice was done through the death of Jesus Christ, taking our sins. And that is just the ultimate expression of God's love. Uh, it, it truly is. That while we were sinners, while we were at enmity with God, um, Christ died for us. It's an awesome thing to think about and to meditate on sometimes also. So he takes those sins, um, and let me just kind of go back one thing. That is in Christ, in verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. And we've spoken of that world before. This would be a, if you're a universalist, this is one of your proof passages, your proof texts. Okay, God reconciling the world to him. He reconciled everybody to himself, right? The world, everybody. Is that right? No, no. I, I think we know that. We know that. There's a, there's a heaven and hell, and uh, some are going to heaven, some are going to hell. But he didn't, if you're reconciled to God, you're going to heaven. So if you reconcile everybody in the world, everybody's going to heaven. But we have to understand that world, that term world, cosmos, is used many times in the scriptures. And sometimes it, it does speak to all people in the world. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. So uh, it has to be um, it has to be understood that typically when that world that word world uh, cosmos in the Greek has many different meanings and typically in the Bible it refers to in um, this thing all of mankind not every single person but the whole world every someone from every tongue every tribe and every nation is the the idea that we have to understand. So God is reconciling someone from every, every tongue, every tribe, every nation to himself, not every single person in the whole world, um, <clears throat> not counting their trespasses against them because they've been paid for by Christ. Uh, and then he entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Okay, the message. That word message is logos, logos, word. It's translated message here. Um, and, and, it, and it's a good idea, I kind of read this, the, the word logos is kind of a opposite, or not maybe an opposite, but of the word mythos, from which we get the word myth. So logos, mythos, logos has the idea of truth behind it, that it's something, the message you're giving them is true. You know, the idea of a myth is something that's kind of made up. So we don't, 
wander off in the midst. So this is the true word. This is the logos of reconciliation, that God has reconciled uh, man to himself. So we are to, and that is this, the, the gospel, plain and simple. You could substitute message of reconciliation for the gospel of Christ. It, it means exactly the same thing it's talking about. And so then, therefore, since God has done this to us, since God has made us this new creation, since God is not counting our trespasses against us anymore, we are now to be ambassadors of Christ. And that's a good word, ambassadors. It really kind of gets the idea of who we are here on earth. Now, I wrote some, some things down here about what ambassadors mean. You know, even in Paul's time, an ambassador was certainly a, a noble occupation. An ambassador is one that, that was appointed by his king or his sovereign to go to a foreign country and represent his interest. Uh, I think we all understand that's what an ambassador is. So it's a, it's, it's a very, it's a noble it's a noble occupation as well, and we're, and we're all called to be that. Um, but a couple of key facts about ambassadors and what they do and don't do, and you can apply this to you, your, uh, your ministry here on earth as an ambassador for Christ. First of all, ambassadors do not speak on their own authority. They speak on the authority of the one who sent them. So every word you speak, every truthful word you speak concerning the gospel is on God's authority. And you speak only for the king. Number two, they're not, you don't put your own ideas in there. Okay, that's not something that we do. We don't change up the truth of God's word. We speak for the king, for our king, and only the truth that he teaches us. Um, and we speak only to please him. We're not in the man-pleasing business. We're not trying to please men in their sin to get them to come to church and to hear the word of God. Okay, but that's not how it works. We're ple we speak only to please our God and not to please men. And we don't change up the gospel to make it more pleasant. Um, boy, that's done a lot lately. The gospel, again, is not, it's just, it's not a, a fix-it program for what ails you. No, it's a reconciliation to a holy God because of the offense we've had to him. So we speak that truth. Number four, um, <clears throat> as an ambassador, we don't make any of our own personal promises, but only those that the king has made. So the only promises we can promise people, okay, are what is written in the true word of God. We can't promise them it's going to fix their, their addiction or fix their, their life or anything like that. Uh, we promise only what God has promised us. Um, Number five is that all your power, you got to understand, all your power as an ambassador and authority comes from your king. Uh, you, in and of yourself, are nothing. You are his workmanship, his creation, created for good works. But your power that you are enabled to do that is from him. And number six, this is really important, an ambassador is in a foreign land. He's an alien where he resides. The customs, the culture, everything is different than his homeland. Our citizenship is in heaven, okay? We are in a foreign land, okay? We are, should be counter-cultural to what it is, and, and we have to understand that. And we don't understand it in a, in a thing that we, that we 
have this idea we've got to change that culture, that we've got to change what's going on in the world. Because sometimes if you focus too much on uh, things you don't like in this world or things that you think are wrong in this world uh, and you get all worked up about them and, and then those people that do those things become your enemies instead of the mission field. So we don't act, so to speak. Our goal is not to change the culture, but it's to change lives. It's to pro pro uh, profess the message of reconciliation, what God has done. Those changed lives will change a culture in God's, uh, uh, in God's eyes. So, <clears throat> so what we... Um, um, our ambassadors as well. So, so our message... Our message is this, our message of Logos, a truthful message, um, is this. We've got to get the message of the gospel right. The message of the gospel right is that God died for sinners, and God will reconcile you to himself uh, through the death of Jesus Christ. That is, that is the simplicity of the gospel, and that is our message here on earth, uh, because we are in a... Um, we are in an alien culture. We are definitely countercultural to the things that are going on in the world. And, and most of us that live in this little uh, secluded environment of East Texas where there's a church on every corner and everything like that. And then you look at the rest of the world, what's going on. It's, you know, we understand we're, we're definitely in a foreign land. Um, so, so to be an ambassador of God is probably the... Um, most ultimate um, uh, profession that we could have uh, because what really matters is not, uh, again, changing the culture. What really matters, um, uh, what really matters is not uh, just taking care of our little problems while we're down here, but what really matters is uh, professing the message, the reconciliation that God has placed in you because he has saved you. That is what we should be doing. And then he, he finishes up here by saying, um, <clears throat> we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, so we are his spokesman, we are his ambassador, we are speaking for him, so we need to be, we need to understand what we're saying, okay? Um, and he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, why, did, why do you have to implore someone to be reconciled to God? Why? I mean, wouldn't you think that you would just say, um, <clears throat> Jesus, God sent Jesus Christ to die for you as a sinner. As a sinner, you have offended a holy God. There is a holy God. There's one of two, two eternal resting places, hell or heaven. But God is, has reconciled to him through his, Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you think everyone would say, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. But we know that that's not the case. We know that there are people that reject God to their dying breath. So we implore, we, we, we beg, we, we don't know who God has chosen ahead of time, so we, we beg, we, we, make that, uh, we make that appeal to them. That is how we do it. It's not a, a declaration that is like we talked about, is in your face that this is the way it is. We appeal to them. We, we were sensitive to them. But we're truthful with the truth of God's word. 
Um, and then I love the way he ends. He says, be, um, he's imploring them not to reconcile themselves to God. He says, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. We can't reconcile ourselves. Uh, you can't do it yourself. Uh, we have to implore people. Uh, the Holy Spirit has to humble them on the inside. Um, uh, they have to mourn over their sin. That is the way God works. Um, because he's the one doing the reconciling. We can't figure out a way in our <clears throat> religion, in any religion. That's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. They're trying to figure out a way to reconcile themselves to God. They're going to do this, 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 and this. But Christianity is God reconciling us to him. So we have to, we have to, we have to get that message out there. Um, and although we're the guilty party, he's the one that reconciles us. Um, how much time we got? A couple minutes. All right. I'll just briefly hit on verse 21, and we'll do that more next time. But verse 21 is how God makes that reconciliation possible. We spoke of that last time. Uh, verse 21, for our sake, okay, not for his sake, but for our sake, because we're the ones that needed to be reconciled, okay? So God does. He made him. God made Jesus to be sin, all right, who knew no sin. So he says, Jesus lived a perfect, sin sinless life, um, but somehow God, <laughs> not somehow, God then took Christ, and by his, before his death, he places all our sins on him, every single one. Uh, he became sin. He never became a sinner. We've got to understand that. He never sinned, never became a sinner. But God, in his omnipotence and his ways, places our sin on him. And then the, the result of that is when Christ died, those sins are, uh, they're punished. They're punished by God's wrath on Jesus. And then how far does he take them away from us? As far as the east is from the west. Okay, so, so he punishes Christ for our sins, takes our sins completely away from us, and then what's even better is he gives his righteousness and puts it in us. Not that we did, we need, I mean, not that we uh, in some way earned it, not that we uh, um, uh, could somehow earn that righteousness on our own, but he places that righteousness in us. <clears throat> and so now when God looks at, at us as a forgiven sinner, he sees Christ's righteousness. He sees his righteousness. And it's the righteousness of God. It's not the righteousness of man. Man, in his wisdom and his religions, has earned some uh, semblance of righteousness in his own mind that he has, but this is a completely different righteousness. This is the only righteousness that saves us, and that is God's righteousness. And, you know, Adam was, was made righteous in the, uh, when he was formed, uh, but again, that was a righteousness of man. This is the righteousness of God that he sees in us. So that's, that's just an awesome thing to, to contemplate. And we'll kind of go into more detail on verse 21 next time also, but we'll, uh, we'll kind of end it here. Again, God, God has saved us <clears throat> for this purpose. He, God has reconciled us to himself for this reason, uh, that he would give us the ministry of reconciliation, that we will tell others about what God has done. Uh, and we got to get the word of reconciliation, the message right, the word of the gospel right. 
to save sinners. But that is, that, is, that is the means God uses to, uh, to save lost sinners. And we don't know, we don't know who. We, we speak of election and, and all those that, uh, that, that make the hair on people's neck kind of bristle up. But we don't know who they are. And so we implore them, we plead with them, we, we speak to them the truth in God. And that's how, uh, that's the means God uses. So that is our, each and every one of ours ministries. All right, so let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, thank you so much for, um, for saving us, for sending your son that, uh, that would take our sins upon himself, give us his righteousness, and then you would appoint us to spread that word. That's a simple gospel message, and we, uh, we praise you for that. We should not take that job lightly. Uh, that job is an ambassador for you, but each and every place we go, we will represent you uh, to the best of our ability and with, through the strength that you have given us. In your son's name, amen.